You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Hey there, friends. This is Randy Bolander with the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. You say, why the third cup of coffee? Where did that come from? Well, let me explain. I have this theory that the third cup of coffee is where the magic happens. I mean, you think about it. In the morning, if you're a coffee drinker, you get up. The first cup is simply a starter kit for life. Like, not much happens at all. Um, You barely get your shoes tied without that first cup. Your second cup is one that is uh, imbibed in the car on the way to wherever you're going, and therefore does not count either, because it's loud, the, the kids are in the car, you're juggling things. But when you get to where you're going, and you sit down, and for some of you this is you know immediate, other you know maybe 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, maybe it's two in the afternoon, but at some point you get to that third cup of coffee, the one you actually enjoy, the one that you have the mug, Uh, that you enjoy the most, and uh, that's where the magic happens. That's where the genius is unlocked. That's where the aha moments take place. It's not the first cup, I promise you. It's not the second cup. It's the third cup of coffee. So I'm sitting here this morning with you and my third cup of coffee in my favorite coffee mug. It is my favorite because it is the right shape, size, and weight. Everything's got to be right. Now, it doesn't look like my favorite cup at all. In fact, it's it's kind of girly looking. I'm a little afraid of it. If I, if I think if, if I could paint it, I would, uh, but I'm afraid it would throw off the uh, feng shui or something. And so I just, I use the same cup, but I love it. And I love that we are together. It is Wednesday morning. All of my children are in school and our house is quiet. And this never happens, especially uh, after a day like yesterday. Yesterday was, was crazy. I had this this thing happened, and, and before I tell you the story, I have to preface it with the idea that I have never in my 52 years, okay, uh, ever run out of gas. I just, I, to my memory, now somebody's going to call me and say, remember that time we were together and I ran out of gas? I don't remember. I really don't. I have never run out of gas in my life because even though my father's been gone for 25 years, I still hear his voice echoing in my head. And uh, the phrase was, there's a gauge right in the dash. That's what he would tell me. There's a gauge right in the dash. And I knew what that meant. That was code for running out of gas is the dumbest thing you could possibly do, son. Now, if you've run out of gas a number of times, I'm not calling you dumb. I'm just saying there's a gauge in the dash that tells you when you're low on gas. And so with that as the background to what happened yesterday, I think you'll understand why I was a little crazy. I'm on the phone, I'm driving, uh, talking to a friend of mine that I've not talked to for a while, so it's kind of a long, involved discussion, and uh, I realize the van only has about 20 miles left before it's out of gas, and so because there's a gauge in the dash, I stop, and I, I go to put gas in while I'm on the phone, and I'm not multitasking very well, and for whatever reason, I cannot get gas into the van. I don't know how else to describe it. I can get like a gallon and a half, and no more goes in the van. And so after trying it a few times and I'm on the phone, I'm just frustrated and I get in the van and I drive back to the house, still talking on the phone. So I get home and and I get ready to go get the kids for school and I realize, oh, I've got to put gas in the van. So I go back to the gas station. I'm not on the phone now. I'm focused solely on this task of putting gas in the van and I can't. Like I, I just, 
I can't put gas in the van. I don't know why. It just won't go in the van. Uh, get maybe another gallon in, but, but no more. And I realized that something is blocking the flow of the gas into the tank. So I drive it home, and in this time, it has gone from 20 miles till empty to 5 miles till empty to 0 miles. Like, my nightmare is happening. I'm running out of gas, and there's a, there's a gauge right in the dash. I should know that I'm running out of gas, but I can't get gas in the van. So I call my mechanic, talk to him a little bit about it. Uh, boy, he's stumped. It could be a, a, some kind of safety valve somewhere. Da, da, da. I crawl underneath. I start messing around. I, I, I tap on the tank. And it sounds really solid. Like, I realize it's full. The gas tank is full. There's nothing, I'm not running out of gas. The gauge is broken. And that's why I'm having a panic. So, after that whole day of, of freaking out, today, here I sit with you, with my third cup of coffee, and it is good. It just feels good to be with you. I'm going to use these podcasts to do just kind of a light form of teaching. I have missed teaching immensely and have missed just kind of rolling through the scriptures and looking at it and saying, Lord, what do you have for us? And so that's what I plan to do. I'm not going to preach. It's a little weird to preach into a microphone in uh, in my office, but I am just going to share a little bit of what I have found. And I am starting, oddly enough, in Jonah Three. Those of you who were tracking with us realized that I left Jonah in the belly of the whale, and uh, I really didn't get a chance to finish that due to some unusual circumstances. So we're going to kind of teach him out of there. Get your Bibles, pour your third cup of coffee, find your way to Jonah chapter 3. Now, a little way in the uh, story recap here. Of course, he was called in Jonah 1 to go to Nineveh to preach. And uh, he went the exact opposite way, went opposite way culturally, opposite way geographically, uh, and he went to Tarshish, or headed to Tarshish, didn't quite make it. Somewhere along the way, a big storm blew up, and the sailors threw him overboard, and while he is overboard, he gets swallowed by a great fish or a whale, honestly, depending on which uh, version you read. I found online forums where people are arguing passionately of whether or not it is a fish or a whale, as if one of the other were a greater miracle. I just, I do not understand arguing about these things. Something in the water, big, scary, swallows him. And uh, there are people who argue about this, fish or a whale, doesn't matter to me. Ends up getting puked out of the whale onto the shore. And we find ourselves then in Jonah chapter 3 where it starts out with this interesting little sentence, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, stop. Okay, now that's not what God said. That's what I'm saying. Stop, stop. Stop and think about that. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This may be one of the greatest displays of second chances anywhere in history. And it sounds so much like the first opportunity that he got. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittiah, saying... Here we are, chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah had totally done the opposite thing of the word of the Lord had directed into the first time. He rose to flee to Tarshish. After his rebellion, after his time in the whale or the fish, whatever you prefer it to be, again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
Now, even though he had repented there in the belly of the whale, he had to wonder, would that ever happen again? Would the word of the Lord ever come to him again? Because he'd completely blown it. If there's an area of your life where you think you have blown it and you will never get another chance, sometimes, you know, we make little things big things and we think it's over. If you've ever had an A student who suddenly got a B on a paper and they thought they have blown it, it is the end of the world. That's not the kind of blown it I'm talking about. You get a little older, you realize that B is not the end of the world. I'm talking about you didn't get a B in class, you flunked out of the class. Or maybe you flunked out of family. Or you flunked out on church. Or the church flunked out on you. Whatever. Failure never feels like a setup for success to us, does it? When we have failed at something or we're around failure, we never think that things are going to turn around. Thank God we are not the sum of our failures. Those are just the things that hang over us in our mind. Just like the first chapter of Jonah before his rebellion, the word of the Lord came with a specific message. In verse 2 in chapter 3, that message is given to him, or at least some direction is given to him. The full message is not given. Chapter 3, verse 2 says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Uh, This is the ESV or English Standard Version. Um, Some versions say it a little more strongly. I actually like the King James phrasing in this passage where it tells him to go preach the preaching. Preach what I'm about to tell you. I'm going to give you a message when you get there. Go to it. And apparently this is a multi-step process. Shout out to everyone who wants all five steps of the plan before they move forward. If I would have waited for God to give us the whole plan for our lives, honestly, I probably wouldn't have said yes. Not that it's been a bad life. It's been an amazing life. But I can't imagine saying yes to all the glory and the gory at one time. I mean, we have 10 children. Who would have said yes to that? We just continually said yes to the next one. So Jonah doesn't get the whole story. He just gets told to go, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Go preach the preaching that I'm going to give you when you get there. And apparently along the way, somehow, he received the message. Beginning of chapter Three, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3 says, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah, the rebel, did what he was told. Jonah, the one who had run from the Lord, did what he was told. Your past failings, Jonah's past failings, are not a prescription for how we are going to respond to today. Just as the word of the Lord can come against all odds, a second time, Jonah responds differently when it does. It is his half of the miracle of being used of God. Do you ever think, I'm sure you do, why does God give us free will to choose? Why does he invite us into the process of what he is doing by allowing us to participate? Is it because he can't control us, so he's got to woo us into doing what he wants? No, that's not it at all. He wants voluntary love, which becomes voluntary service. God gives us the dignity of an invitation when he gives us 
a chore or a task or the word of the Lord. He gives us that, and then we in turn give him the love of a son or a daughter by responding with a yes in our heart like Jonah did the second time. There is something about a yes from a son or a daughter that causes a father to participate in what they are saying yes to. Came home the other day, and my two 11-year-old twins had determined they were going to clean the house. I know this sounds like a dream, but it's true. They decided they were going to clean the house, and they had cleaned a ton of the house, missed a few things. I jumped in and helped. Why? Because I was so excited about the yes in their heart. When I ask something of one of my kids, and this is especially true on the more immature end of the scale. I've got kids from 26 to 4. I have very different expectations of them. But that yes dad at any level drives me to help them succeed. Every time I've seen someone be used of God in remarkable ways, it has started with a yes in their heart. Hasn't started with skill. Hasn't started with a guarantee. It started with a yes in their heart. A yes in your heart doesn't mean you have it all figured out. It doesn't mean you know what the whole message is. It just signals to God that inasmuch as it is in your power, you're going to lean into his commands as you understand them instead of away from them. Instead of going to Tarshish, you're going to arise and take at least a step towards Nineveh, believing that on the way, you're going to get the rest of the story. Now, if you've watched football, you know they have this thing now where they mic up a player. They put a mic on a quarterback or a fullback, or those are the only two positions I know in football. Sorry, a receiver, I guess. I just don't know football. But to put a mic on them so you can hear what they're saying during the game. I wish we could have mic'd Jonah at this point. I wish we could have a mic as he's walking to Nineveh because he's had quite the day. You know, he's been in rebellion. He's been in a fish or a whale. He's been puked out of the fish or the whale. He's gotten the word of the Lord the second time. And all he's got is a yes in his heart. He has no guarantees, but he starts the journey. The Bible says, Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, where is Jonah at this point? We really don't know. In our mind, he's lying on the shore. It's just been spit out of the fish. But that's not necessarily true. We don't know. There may have been a time lapse here. There are more theories on this than there are people, but the answer doesn't matter. In your Bible study, don't get sucked into debates which getting it right doesn't change the message. Time has passed between the first and the second part of verse 3, however. Because in verse 3, the second part, it says, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, meaning it takes three days to get across it. Everything about Nineveh was intimidating. Its size was intimidating. Its language was different and intimidating. Its culture was intimidating. Its religious customs were intimidating. And in verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. So he walks a distance in. He walks beyond the exurbs, beyond the suburbs, more towards the center part of the city. And he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, I can easily imagine that Jonah probably thought this was a fool's errand. Even now, even though he's laying his yes out of obedience on the table, it's not really clear that he thought it would matter. This is how we know your weak yes matters in the kingdom. Jonah's reluctant yes had a profound effect. Even though he didn't really want to go do it, his yes on the table to go do it and to speak the word of the Lord, the short little snippet that he had, had a profound difference 
had a profound difference on the average guy in Nineveh. Verse 5 says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So he has this profound effect on everyone from the aristocracy all the way down to the blue-collar worker and the poor. And they begin to call out for a fast. But it also had a profound effect on significant leaders. In verse 6, the word of the Lord reached Nineveh, which reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne removed his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. He says, we're going to fast and the animals are going to fast. Let them not feed or drink water, but let the man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. In this verse 9, the king says, based on Jonah's weak and feeble yes, it stirs the heart of the king of a nation to say, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. Jonah's willingness to go on what might have been a fool's errand to change the heart of a pagan king His weak yes, even after rebellion, became a moment of shifting in people's hearts, in the nation, and even in heaven. The closing part of that chapter says in verse 10, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jonah chapter 3 is an incredible story of hope that anyone with a yes in their heart for what God is calling them to do, no matter what their history, no matter what their track record, no matter how they have blown it, anyone with a yes in their heart when the voice of the Lord comes to them can shape the future of regular people's lives, can shape the future of the lives of kings, and can even shape how God responds to people in that situation. Jonah chapter 3. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? It's a great story. I hope this third cup of coffee has been worth it. I'll see you next time. Have a great day.